Hallå så välkommen till Lisa plus Vina Alexant, en podcast om naturlig vin och människan bak. Är till Lisa Anes. Hallå, välkommen till Lisa plus Vina Alexand, en podcast om naturlig vin och människan bak. Här till Lisa Anas. Ska vi se. Hallå. Har vi lyd där? Och så ska vi inte ha feedback helst. Jonas. Hello. 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 No. Okay. Sån. Good. Uh, Sandia, uh, just so we can check the audio, do you want to tell me what you had for breakfast this morning? Um, this morning I was uh, having breakfast with my two children, so I didn't really eat anything. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just picking up after them. Yeah. Oh, that's. Uh, I found that's a really good way to get a varied diet. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> and exercise. And exercise. You know, it's it's very healthy. Yes. Oh, that close? Wow, I'm I'm in the mic. I am the microphone. <laughs> Is that a good sound? Yeah. And there's no feedback. I can still hear something, but it's probably the damn fridge. No. No. Good. Yeah. What did I have for breakfast this morning? You ask me. Well, I shall tell you. Uh, I had a great breakfast because my child is still small enough that he can't go very far. <laughs> you can still strap him down. He's, <laughs> he's stuck to the chair, basically. <laughs> okay. If I put him in a chair, he stays there. And they had waffles. Oh, so nice. he was very preoccupied with the waffles. I found that a hotel breakfast buffet is like his favorite thing now. Yeah, you can choose whatever. You can choose and he had, he had it all. Good. So that was very good. Nice. We're not here to talk about breakfast. We're here to talk about wine. Excellent. Um, so, hello, my name is Lisa, and uh, we are recording today at Panja in Bergen as part of the Braukokt Festival, the Hotuft Syndicate Festival that we're a part of this weekend. And uh, for those of you who don't know me, I I'm a wine journalist and I work for Dagens Nagsliv. I have a column about natural wine every um, Friday in the D2 magazine. So if you haven't uh, yet, you should check it out, maybe, if you want to. And uh, then I also have this uh, podcast, with it, which is about natural wine. Uh, it's called Lisa plus Vin Alexant, which translates to Lisa... Me plus wine equals true love and romance mm. and all that is good because I do love my wine. And uh, here today I have a very special guest, which is Sander Chang. Hello. All the way from London yes. to Bergen to talk about wine. It was actually a very quick flight. Yes. I didn't realize it was so quick. I was hoping for a nap, but it didn't happen. How long was the flight actually to Bergen? An hour and 40 minutes. Yeah, ours was 40 minutes. No. Without the hour, it sounds it feels insane to fly to Bergen, but then again, the train is like seven hours, 
Uh, but yeah, I was hoping for my baby to have a nap. But we were up and then we were down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Sandia. Um, I am originally American, if you ha- couldn't tell by my accent from L.A. Um, I married an Englishman, so I kind of got kidnapped and taken to London. Uh, we opened a restaurant 10 years ago, or two restaurants, actually. Uh, uh, Bubble Dogs, which did champagne and hot dogs, but predominantly grower champagnes. And my husband, saying that he didn't train 20 years in, in cookery to become a hot dog chef. So he wanted to do a fine dining restaurant. So we ended up opening two uh, concepts in one building. So we had Kitchen Table, which is our fine dining concept, in the same location as my champagne hot dog restaurant called Bubble Dogs. Uh, my background is uh, I've always been in hospitality, always love um, restaurants. So after college, I went to study culinary arts, so I was a chef for the longest time. Then I decided I wasn't crazy enough to be a chef, so I went back to the front of house and um, very lucky to get a job at Per Se in New York and with an amazing, amazing wine list. And I took it on to myself to learn about wines there because I said, you know, there's no better wine list, like, per se, you know, all the big names. And so I volunteered to do stock take. And from there, I started learning about wine and got sucked into it and never came back out. That's the best way. Yeah. And you are a little bit of a champagne aficionado, I will say. How did you get into champagne specifically? Mm, I would say probably when I was working at Noma. Um, this is 2008, a um, long time ago, when Noma's wine list only consisted of grower champagnes, Rieslings, and Burgundies. And it was a fantastic list. And I remember all the champagne on the list were, were names that I didn't recognize, you know, after coming from Per Se, which there was Krug and Salon and, you know, and all the big names. and. I got to know them. I was like, why are these names so strange? And then got into uh, the world of champagne and specifically grower champagnes there. So yeah, so I moved to London and I was really disappointed about the choices of champagne in London in terms of restaurants and bars. So I said, you know, if I want to drink good champagne, I should open a champagne bar. And then, yeah, the rest is history. Yeah. I do love the can-do spirit. Um, and uh, this is a podcast, so obviously people listening at home can't see us right now. But um, for those of you who can see us, what's with the face paint? Why, do we, why, why are we wearing face paint? Yeah, we were at a, at a four-year-old birthday party earlier this morning. Yes. Hence the face paint. Mine's a little bit subtle. Mine's a little flower. But uh, Lisa was a little bit more daring. Well, uh, I'll say the makeup artist was a little more daring. I, <laughs> I don't know if I had a say in that, really. And uh, it absolutely terrified my son, which was a bit sad. She looks like a leopard, for those I, who yes. can't see her. I look very scary. Um, you look, uh, you look uh, like a delicate flower. Oh, thanks. Yeah, well done. And it was also your daughter's birthday It party, was, yeah. Party. It was her birthday yesterday. It was oh. so kind of them to put a party together. It was really nice. So let's get into the wine side of things. Obviously, we are drinking some wine right now. Mm, which champagne. Is, oh, no, really? Mm. What? <laughs> On the champagne pod? So this is uh, from Bonnet Ponson. It's a nom dos and uh, what was it? 2017 bottling? Yeah. 
I think so. I think the bass vintage is peak on the back. What 16. Does it say? 16. Yeah. And you've met this guy, right? I have, yes, I have. Um, he's a very popular man. And when I went to tasting with him, the, his table was packed. So, yeah, it was hard to have to like move through the crowd to get to him. But super, super cool guy. Yeah, it's a super lovely champagne. I think it's available at the Wine Monopoly, or if not this exact vintage, then some of it, uh, his other wines, so you should check it out. If you're listening at home, I'll just put a thing in the show notes so you can check out the champagne. And champagne is obviously what we're here to talk about. Um, so what I like my pod to be is that it's, uh, it's comfortable to listen to for people who know nothing about wine mm. and for people who know a little bit about wine, would like to know more. And then obviously from a natural wine perspective. So if we can look at that at like three layers. Yeah. So let's start with the people who don't know that much about champagne at all. Like what is champagne? Do you want to do like a very quick Champagne 101 yeah, lessons sure. for our listeners and our uh, our uh, audience? Well, for for all those everybody, I always like to say Champagne is is just wine with bubbles, and people tend to get very scared of the idea of Champagne. You know, it's expensive. It's you know, I'm only waiting to drink this on a birthday or anniversary. But it is just wine and bubbles. And the bubbles comes from a second fermentation. So after you make wine. You add a little bit more yeast and some sugar. And people uh, don't know, but yeast is like an animal. And yeast likes to eat sugar. So when you put the yeast in a bottle with some sugar, close it, it's like a rave inside. The yeast is having fun. There's so much food. It's like a party. Um, And like humans, you know, when we eat, we tend to pass gas. And that is literally what happens in a bottle to make champagne, yeast farts. (laughs) Mmm, <laughs> delicious, expensive yeast farts. Exactly, but that is essentially <laughs> what champagne is, 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 is the bubbles, the, the farts from the, from the yeast in the second mm. fermentation. And if uh, our listeners want to know more about uh, sparkling wine, I can also say I made an entire episode about sparkling wine. So look through the catalogue, it's with Sara Dasher, it's in Norwegian. Go listen to that, so then we don't have to spend an hour getting people up to speed. So stop what you're doing. Pick up that episode, come back here. Okay, so expensive yeast farts. And these yeast farts need to be farted in the champagne area of France. Correct, yes. It has to fart in champagne. It has to fart in champagne. Or else it cannot be called champagne. (laughs) (laughs) It can be called uh, other yeast farts, like uh, Cremant. It can be called Cava. Cava, Prosecco. Yeah. Some Prosecco. Some Prosecco. Because champagne is not just an area and a beverage, it's also... A method of making wine, or it's called a traditional method. Correct. Yes. yes. Um, do you want to do like a quick traditional method lowdown? Other than the yeast farts? Yeah, the yeast fart method. <laughs> the yeast fart method. So yeah, so the second fermentation is done in the bottle. Um, then the bottle is laid on its on the leaves, so the the dead yeast, basically, after mm. the... Yeast farts and dead yeast? Yeah, so it sounds delicious. <laughs> so after the uh, sugar runs out, you know, every, after starvation, it dies, and you're ended up with yeast, dead yeast skeletons um, called the lees, and these lees get, uh, stays in the bottle for as long as the producer wants. And then it gets riddled, which means it gets uh, 
all the, the leftover leaves, the yeast skeleton, in the neck of the bottle, and it gets disgorged, so it gets released. Um, and going back to the party, the yeast has eaten all of the sugar, so what you ended up with after disgorgement is a very, very dry wine. So then it's up to the producer whether or not they want to add a bit more sugar to balance it out or leave it like this wine we're drinking right now. Just leave it as it is for a non-dose, mm. no dosage. Mm. So dosage is the adding the sugar part and the non-dose is obviously non-dosage. Also uh, the name of a Norwegian importing company. Oh, clever Non-dose. Yeah, very clever. Well done, guys. Um, so this obviously being a natural wine podcast, is there a, such a thing as natural champagne? Um, there is. There are producers that are doing uh, champagnes. Um, obviously, they're all biodynamic, organic, but there are champagne producers making champagne with no sulfur added. Mm. Um, I'm assuming, I mean, I'm not very technical with uh, champagne production and the sulfur part of the process, but um, I'm assuming it, uh, it's harder because it's the bubbles and needs to be stable. Um, but there is a producer called Marie Corton, which I'm sure you're familiar from uh, Côte de Bar, and she does a no sulfur added um, cuvee called Concordance. Mm. So if you ever want to try a really, really good no sulfur added champagne. Because um, if we think about the stages of growing wine or producing wine, when we come to growing, champagne is also a very difficult area. Uh, it is the area of France with the least percentage of organic, uh, organically certified vineyards. So I think the numbers for 2020 was 3% mm -hmm. of champagne is certified organic, as opposed to like 18 or 20% uh, all over in France in general. So it's a very low percentage. And one of the reasons, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, because this is your specialty, but the climate is not so great in Japan. It's, it's very cold. No. It's very wet. It's very it's much like England. Um. <laughs> Therefore, English sparkling wine yes. is up and coming. Yeah. Um, but on the upside, the last few quite warm seasons have been quite good for champagne uh, recently because it's been warmer and easier to get proper ripe grapes, because I've also heard that uh, chaptalization is quite common in champagne, mm -hmm. yep. which is the process of adding sugar during the fermentation so that you pump up the alcohol and you know the, the, the largeness, shall mm. we say, of the wine. But, well, in order for people to understand the rest of this discussion, let's talk a little bit briefly about non-vintage champagne and the art of blending champagne. Because I think people have heard of terminology like vintage champagne and then obviously non-vintage champagne. But what is it exactly and how does that work and the blending and the house blends? And could you enlighten us? So I would say probably a good place to start is the house the house blend or the house style because every champagne producer has their own house style. Um, I always describe it as kind of your fashion sense. You know, you, you can go out every fashion season and buy new clothes, but whatever you end up with is still your style. And that's a, a champagne or house style. Um, in order to reach that, they have to reserve wines from previous vintages because you never know if the certain vintage 2017 wasn't what you expected. You have 16, 15, 14 
however many reserve wines to blend it in order to get your style. So that's how champagne became a blended wine, um, just to achieve a style, specific style they have. Uh, vintage champagne has to come from a particular vintage. Now, making champagne is already costly enough. You know, to make a vintage champagne is even more costly because you have to, to lay it down on the lease for at least three years. So imagine investing money in three years. You can't touch it. And end of the three years, you open that bottle and it's crap, mm. then you're really screwed. So the only way a producer will decide to make a vintage is that they are damn sure that vintage is so good that in three years' time or however long when they open it, they're going to make good wines or good money out of the wine. So vintage champagne is quite it's rare just for, for that, for mm. that sake. And going back to the climate thing, obviously with the warm weather, it's exciting this year, next year, maybe a couple more warm seasons, but then because of the vintage champagne, no, the non-vintage champagne blending technique, if you only have super mature, high ABV, um, super ripe vintages, then you're going to have a problem when you want to blend it, right? Yeah. 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 So see what they do. But here we get into another territory, which uh, obviously we have now non-vintage champagne and vintage champagne. And then we have this thing called grower champagne, which you mentioned earlier. My and love. then Yes, your love. And then uh, the, uh, the opposite, which is non-grower champagne or cooperative champagne, or I don't know. Negociant. Negociant, of yeah. course. Um, could you explain what is negociant champagne and how is grower champagne different? So negociants um, are champagne producers that buy in their, their grapes from different farmers, bringing into their winery and then making champagne. So they, they might have a little bit of their own vineyards, but a majority of it is all brought in. So um, I grew up in Saudi Arabia. I was born and raised in Saudi Arabia. And for wow. those who don't know, it's a, it's a strict Muslim country. So growing up there, alcohol is not, it's prohibited. So my dad loves to drink. So he used to go to the supermarket. I know, that's where I get it from. Why did he move there, though? <laughs> not by choice. Um, he used to go to the supermarket. I remember I was probably six or seven, and he would go and buy grape juice from the supermarket and uh, make his own wine at home with, like, a, you know, home wine kits and, oh, and all yeah. that. And it was awful. Yeah. It was so bad. But uh, beggars can be choosers, right, when you can't drink. Um, so I, in my head, I always imagine um, big negotiants working like that. It's not their own grape. There's no connection. There's no uh, like soul in that in the in the wine, because whoever the winemaker is wasn't the person who was out there in the farm caressing the grapes or tending to the vines. They basically go into the supermarket of some form and buying the grapes in and making the champagne. So grower producers or grower champagne producers are those are actually farmers. And they go and they, they farm the grapes and they tend to the vines, they plow the, plow the fields, and mm. then they're also the winemakers. So they see everything from the beginning to the very end until you're drinking it in your glass. So there's so much more passion, so much more investment in their parts and, and love and care, and they've seen the whole entire way through till, till we drink it. Mm. So to me, it just makes more sense, you know? Um, Big negotiations are big houses, the grand marks that we all know, like Vue Clicquot or Moët and um, Pierre Jouet. 
Um, they're good champagnes, but their whole objective is to make consistency. So no matter if you pick up a bottle in the supermarket today, yesterday, next year, um, it's always going to be the same because that's what they want to sell is consistency. With grower producers, it's less consistent in a good way. So they're more concerned about terroir, the, the vintage, how it, how it reflects a certain, that certain year. Um, so you might not be guaranteed that this particular, for instance, cuvee will be the same the next release. But that's, that's the fun part of it. It's exciting. You know, that's why we got into wine, because we're always learning, and everything's always different. Which is our, the exact same arguments that I use about natural wine, as opposed to mass-produced, or shall we call it conventional, large-scale uh, wine, which is that, you know, falling feather. I don't know if you know this wine, but it's the most sold wine in Norway every year. And uh, this year as well. And it's, uh, it always tastes like falling feather every year. And if it did taste different, I think my grandma would freak out. <laughs> so, you know, there's the people who, who are natural, maybe risk takers also in life or naturally curious when it comes to food and wine. And uh, then there are the people who like to have the same flavor over and over. Yeah. Which I'm... You know, there's nothing wrong with there's it. There's nothing wrong with no. that, but uh, this is different. Yeah. Well, yeah. champagne is particularly interesting because I would say maybe a little bit less now, I would say, but still about 70% of champagne producers are negotiants. Mm. Um, there's only a tiny little percentage that are growers because it's very expensive to make champagne. You know, um, and majority of the grower producers, their family used to be all farmers. So as a farmer, you're guaranteed money every year because you're selling it off to the big houses. Mm. Um, but to make champagne, you know, think about the investment, the equipment, the time the champagne has to be on the lease before you can release it to make money. And is it going to sell? You never know. So that's why there are very, very few uh, grower producers in champagne for mm. that reason. What is the reason that champagne has become what it is today. I mean, there's obviously the expensive method, but why does it have, have this air of uh, fear surrounding it, do you think? I think it's marketing. Yeah. I think it's all the Grand Marc uh, champagne houses with their extremely, extremely good marketing. Mm. You know, it, 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 champagne is only for anniversaries, for celebrations, for when you want to say sorry to your girlfriend. <laughs> you know, like when it, you want to make a rap music video. Yeah, <laughs> spray some naked women. So it's, it's you been, can't do that with like red wine. It would be kind of gross destroying red wine and naked people. Correct. But champagne, it's sexy. Yeah. Why? Correct. It's so weird. Yeah. So, I mean, the whole reason why I opened Bubble Dogs and served champagne with hot dogs is because I always think nobody's ever scared of a hot dog. You know, hot dog is like a friendly food. So as long as I can get people <laughs> in the door for the hot dogs, like lure them into the door, they sit down, then I can sort of convince them, you know, to try some really cool champagnes mm. while they're there. And to kind of take that sort of fear away from them. You know, it's, it's just wine with bubbles, with farts. Wine with farts. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't sound dangerous at all. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's um, it, it, it's a tough market out there, you know. Moet Chandon makes about twenty six million bottles a year. Well, I think Bonnet Ponson does maybe what forty thousand, if at most. Yeah. So the comparison is, you know, it's huge. Yeah. 
but I also think there is a rising interest for grower champagne right now, or the last couple of years. It feels like a sort of a buzzword when you talk about champagne. Um, when we also talk about grower champagne going back to the vineyard and focus on more uh, organic, biodynamic practices, does that translate into a more healthy vineyard practice as well? I guess that's like a, a leading the witness, Your Honor, but I guess how does it translate? In terms of? In terms of uh, farming more sustainably. Do growers always farm more sustainably? Do they not? Is uh, it growers in particular, they do. Yeah. You know, they're farmers. So to them, the vines, the earth, you know, their vineyard is the most important thing. Um, the growers, because they're farmers, wine making wine is almost secondary. So as long as they can get the grapes healthy and, and happy, they know that they don't have to do much in the in the winery, mm. which I think is brilliant. You know, like there's a producer called Jean-Marc Select, and he trained in Australia and in Napa Valley. And he said the only thing he learned is things that he should not do when he goes back to his own winery, and that's because he's seen so many commercial wine wineries out there in, in the new world that was doing a lot of fixing in the winery and not paying attention in the vineyard. Mm. So in Champagne for Growers, like I said, they're mostly farmers. So for them, that's more their expertise. It's the farm. Yeah. I really hope that the trend with Grower Champagne can make a difference in Champagne, the area as well, seeing as the trend with uh, not-so-sustainable winemaking in this area is taking its toll. Yeah. And already, um, obviously, Champagne has to be made with uh, specific grapes in order to be called Champagne. But um, now I don't know that much about the Champagne area specifically, but I do know that Pinot Noir uh, especially has been uh, a bitch. It's been very difficult to mm -hmm. cultivate. How do you see that developing in the next like, 10, 20 years? Will there ever be an opening for champagne being made with any other grapes? Or what is happening? Well, you do see more and more um, producers making more 100% Pinot Meunier mm. grapes-based um, champagnes. And um, the area of champagne called the Côte de Bar, which is closer to Burgundy than it is to the main part of Champagne, is doing some extremely cool things there because the land is cheap there, so the rent is cheap. The overhead is smaller. Mm. So they're, they have more freedom to do more experiments. So they are the ones planting you know, the, the ancient grapes varieties, so the Arbon, the Petit Meslier, um, doing Pinot Blanc-based Champagne as well. So you're seeing more and more of that, but I guess people can't forget that Champagne became Champagne sparkling because there were, the proximity to Burgundy has always been too close for comfort. Um, it's always been a very competitive thing because if you think about it, both areas produce Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. And before Champagne became sparkling, they were producing still Chardonnay and Pinot Noir as well. Oh. But Burgundy was... The ones that the kings, the royal families, all the elites were drinking Burgundian wine. And Champagne's like, hold on, like, what is wrong with our wine? So this whole method of uh, second fermentation and sparkling was, a, was an attempt to get, uh, you know, to get up there to compete with Burgundy. But in order to do that, they had to keep the, the grape varieties the same because that's, that's what commercially sells is Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. So that's why it's, 
always been there because people recognize it, which yeah. is, which is uh, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But Pinot Mune, I always call the the loser in school. You know, the <laughs> the one friend in school nobody wants to play with unless you're making a football team and you're missing a player and you you're like, come on it. in. Oh. <laughs> you know? The the filler grape, the you know, the kid that just comes and fills up the team. Yeah. Um, but now now people are realizing the potential of Pinot Mune that this boy or girl actually can grow up to be pretty cool so mm. so now with more attention and more um in the vineyard they're creating some really age potential pinot mune champagnes do they sell like do people i feel this is the problem with you know say the very popular girls in school chardonnay i feel like she's such a little bitch isn't she chardonnay <laughs> chardonnay <laughs> Or or Pinot Noir, which is like the, the high handsome. maintenance. Yeah, yeah, high maintenance, very and and like a bit of a jock maybe, yeah. like a high maintenance jock, and it's a lot of attention and a lot of compliments, mm-hmm. a bit like Kanye West maybe of the great <laughs> yeah. world. Um, people people tend to go for that because they know it, and it's kind of a self perpetuating thing, you know. It just keeps going and going. Do you yeah. think we'll be seeing the change from the bigger champagne houses? when they're not able to go grow their grapes anymore like the the high maintenance ones or I or think so you, I think yeah. and, and also the trend of people drinking as well people now are a bit more knowledgeable about wine so you know seeing a Pinot Meunier 100% Cuvée listed they're not so like taken back by it mm. they'll probably be like oh cool that's different and they'll try it and then the big houses is going to catch on and they're going to say well maybe we should do that too Yeah, and then they'll make much more money, of course. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what keeps happening everywhere, isn't it? I just had a big discussion about certification of natural wines uh, as well with Milana Stretch and the ups and downs of that. But obviously, one of the big cons is that it it gives a manual for the bigger houses to monetize the trend yeah. or what they see as a trend yeah. which is kind of sad and i guess that's what we'll be seeing in champagne as well yeah. yeah it's hard to get out of it i mean when i opened uh bubble dogs 10 years ago um i was approached by so many big houses you know saying oh, let me build your bar for you let me pay you know for all your wine glasses let me give you free champagne to pour by by the glass for the first three months and as a small business owner how it's so hard to turn that down as free money you know but There's a lot of people out there that didn't turn it down. So mm. they've got shiny bars with like Vuclico all over it, you know, huge ice buckets with like big names on it. So then the consumer just kind of gets brainwashed. Yeah. You know, and these grower producers, like I said, are farmers. They hardly answer emails. <laughs> you know, they're they're not doing marketing, so it's it's very tough market. And, Sounds like uh, also the email thing. Sounds like most natural wine producers. I always say like it's a very good sign if the wine bottle has a Yahoo email address on it. Then you know the wine is going to be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Speaking, can I have some? Of course, of course. Champagne me. Yes, of course. Mentioning the children's birthday party, we obviously uh, we need uh, we need some we need a drink afterwards because it was. So bon- Bonnet Ponson also no. makes uh, a lot of uh, Cote Champenoise. Mm-hmm. which is a still wine in made in Champagne. Not flat wine, not flat Champagne. Actual still wine from Champagne. Um, and I feel like that's a new trend in Champagne at the moment. There's a lot of Cote de Champenoise being produced because I feel like the winemakers now, opposed to back when Champagne was competing with Burgundy, 
they actually want to be known as winemakers more than champagne makers because mm. they want people to know to f- know that they make wine not champagne because you know? mm. in order to make great champagne you have to make great still wines first so more and more pe- uh, champagne producers are making still wine so very delicious still wine yeah yeah i had some recently and it's not something that i'm very familiar with so i was quite curious to try that oh look children hello oh it's <laughs> the happy Happy that's birthday, my, girl. Yeah, that's my daughter, Shay. Hey. <laughs> um, we don't have such a huge audience today, but one of the good things about doing something live is that we also have the opportunity to take questions or comments as we go along. So if anybody feel like they have like a burning question or something bubbling up, then uh, you bubbling can... Bubbling up? Very bubble. good. Mm, farting. Very good. <laughs> Does anybody feel like they, they're holding a fart inside and they want to let it out? Let it out. Uh, you can let it out now <laughs> or as we go. <laughs> People that just walked into the room is like, what is this podcast about? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's about farting. I mean, it really, essentially, it is about farting. It is. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's champagne. It's, it shouldn't be like... You know, on, I mean, yes, it's it's hard to make and it should be respected, but you know, you can drink it anytime. It doesn't yeah. have to be for a special occasion, anytime. This is also what I love about you and your work, how you make a uh, posh thing a little bit less posh. Do you get a lot of uh, backlash from the wine community for doing like champagne and hot dogs? I did a little bit at the beginning. There's people that said, you know, how can you disrespect champagne by serving it with hot dogs? And and I say, are you crazy? Do you think that when you go to champagne, people just wheel around trolleys of caviar? <laughs> like usually when you go taste champagne, you know, you're you're with a farmer in the vineyard and they pull out, you know, day old sausages and and aged cheese from their pockets, <laughs> and um, and yeah, there was a lot of that. And I was actually really, really afraid uh, secretly about offending the producers because in my head, I, you know, they're French, they're very proper, you know, they're all about respect. And I thought, you know, what if I piss them off by serving this American girl coming along serving hot dogs? And actually, uh, they were so supportive and they were so happy. There was finally somebody out there trying to advocate for them because nobody really you know, pay them any attention. Nobody, mm. nobody said, nobody was crazy enough like me just to open a bar just for grower producers. You know, so, um, so yeah, they were really, really supportive. That is really lovely. It's so nice. I, I like to remind people that wine, because people are afraid of champagne, they're afraid of wine in general. And I've worked in service in so many, like I worked with coffee, I worked with food, and if people come up to a barista to order a coffee, they don't start the conversation by saying, hi, I don't know anything about coffee, I'm so sorry, I just want a cup of coffee, but I don't know which one to choose. They're like, I'll have a black coffee. Boom. Sometimes I feel like that in coffee shops, though. In the okay, trendy the coffee cool shops. Ones, the very cool ones. Okay, yeah, the ones where you don't get any milk and sugar. I do feel like that sometimes as well. But my point is that wine terrifies people, you know? And people start the conversation with the bartender apologizing that they don't know anything about wine. And it's like, it's my, it's my job to know something about wine. It's not your job. Yeah. And wine is a agricultural product. And it's a beverage that we made to drink at home with friends and it's sad that it's become this uh, cultural thing yeah it is yeah 
but you know, like you said, it's our job, our job to sort of teach and educate, and and what better job than trying to get people drunk? <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> it's a very good job. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and also, but it's uh, important to mention as we're having this conversation, though, that choosing to drink natural champagne, grower champagne, vintage champagne, natural wine, as opposed to, um, you know, getting by every month and then, hey, you have money for a bottle of cheap wine and then you can enjoy that. Like, we're also extremely privileged to be able to focus on this. Yeah, we are. And, and for grower champagne especially, most of the time they're much more affordable than, than big Grand Marc champagne. You know, they don't have to pay for for marketing department or their, you know, their marketing budget. Yeah, you know, giving literally. once to Snoop Dogg. Exactly. <laughs> to Jay-Z. <laughs> um, so yeah, so it's, it's always much more accessible than uh, the big champagne houses. What is your view on champagnes that are not from Champagne? Like, I'm thinking about Cremant, but also I've seen like Champagne-style wines that can't be called Champagne, but comes from different countries, like Czech Republic, for example. I've yep. had some really amazing Blanc Noirs. Yep. Um, is that a yes, yes, or no? Yes, no, no that's a yes, very exciting. Yeah. Um, I'm Especially for me, being in England at the moment, English sparkling wine is really coming along. Hmm. Um, there's some really amazing wineries in England doing some really great stuff. So I see that, and also climate climate change allows it to happen too. So, yeah, it's it's exciting. I I don't like I have nothing against other sparkling wines. Hmm. No. We're wine people. We'll just drink <laughs> anything, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I I love some of the things I've seen from Eastern Europe. Like I'm it's particularly thinking right now about the. Krasnahora, Czech wine producer, who's made an amazing Blanc Noir, keeps making it every year, and it's my like go-to cheap champagne because it's from Czech Republic, so it's cheap, uh, but it's super good quality. It's really yeah, exciting. I had a really good uh, sparkling wine from Wales. Yeah, really. Yeah, really good. I haven't checked out that much from from uh, from your side of the world, England and UK. Really, do you have any recommendations like uh, wineries to check out? Yeah, there's um, a Ridge View is very good. The one from Wales is called Anchor Hill. Anchor Hill. Yeah, cool. and beautiful part of the world to visit too. So I know I know the polar bears are sadly dying, but England is uh, <laughs> is enjoying the warmer weathers. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think those are my burning questions about champagne. Okay. Are there any other burning questions? Oh, there's a fart. Lady in blue. It has a fart. asking what's your favorite producers from Champagne? Gosh, that's a tough question. It's like asking my favorite child, even though my husband has a favorite child. Is <laughs> <laughs> that one that's awake, that's a favorite. <laughs> um, I would say um, I'm more excited about the Cote de Bar, so the area in the southern part of Champagne. Um, Why? I just think it's a lot more interesting. Like I said, they don't have big overhead, so they're producing more exciting um, things. Well, you know, the main part of Champagne, they do make great wines, but it's keeping it safe because they have to pay rent, you know, to 
rent. So um, I just like new things and finding new great varieties and new processes. And um, Olivier Oriot is a, one of my favorites. He's down in Le Risset. And actually, Le Risset has a t another um, wine that they're allowed to make called Rosé de Risset. Mm. So they have three appellations, Champagne, uh, Cote de Champenoise, and Le Risset, a rosé. So they can make a rosé wine from, from that area. Mm. But he does some really cool stuff. Um, something a bit more mainstream is a producer called Don Grelet. And Don Grelet is uh, next is a good friend of the Salos family. And uh, Adrian took over his family when he was 26, and he's not that much older now, so in his early 30s. Extremely good looking guy, extremely. Google him, press the image button. <laughs> um, and uh, he's doing some very exciting things. He does, uh, his, his entry level is always blended with a Solera reserve, and that's his style. To have like a fresher vintage blended with a more mature reserve wine to give you that sort of balance of maturity and freshness as well. So Don Grelay is definitely one to watch out for because I feel like perhaps in a few years we won't be able to afford it. I was going to make a joke about uh, him being good looking and grower champagne and shower champagne and uh, I, don't, I don't know if we should go there. But uh, <laughs> seeing as there are children here, but yeah. So yeah, cause there's loads of... Um, really, really up-and-coming champagne producers. And I often find new producers from older producers or more established, and they'll say to me, oh, you should check out this, this kid down the road. The kid's like 40 years old, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and we go and we go taste, and most of the time, you know, if you trust... If you have a favorite producer and they tell you they like this other producers, most of the time that is really good. Yeah. So that's how I find new, new producers. And um, I guess uh, wrapping up, what is going on with you in your business now? Where you were talking to me before we started recording that you have like a little toying around dream about maybe bringing in some wine. Yeah. And uh, where do you see yourself in like five five ten years time? So, well, sadly, during COVID, we had to close Bubble Dogs. Um, also, it was good timing because I had two children during that time, um, within the three years. And um, my husband and I decided that perhaps it's good just to focus on one restaurant, which is our Michelin star restaurant kitchen table. So me being still in love with champagne, I kept the champagne business, but turned it into more of an e-commerce site called Bubble Shop, where it's uh, literally a one-stop shop for grower of champagne. Because grower champagne is hard to find. I, I don't know about here in Scandinavia, but in England, you would probably have to you know, search for six, seven different suppliers to find your, your champagnes that you love. So I've created a shop where people can just literally come to my website and there'll be amazing selections of all grower producers. So it's a one-stop shop, um, which is going really well. And, and hopefully, and maybe in the next few years, I start doing some trade some wholesaling to restaurants. That's my that's my goal. I'm amazed that you're able to have a restaurant and two children at the same time. <laughs> I don't know how I, I do it. I don't know either. I had a restaurant and then I had a baby and then I was like, yeah, no, fuck the restaurant. I'm not doing <laughs> yeah. that anymore. <laughs> but e-commerce but e is a good way to do things. I, I'm sure a lot like your podcast, you can edit 
you know, when the kids go to bed. Yes. In the middle of the night. Yeah, yeah. Instead of sleeping, you can work. It's a yeah, great, I know. great way why, of living. Why do we do it to ourselves? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I feel like ambition is my like self-regulation. I'm like, why? Why am I doing it? Why do I have another project? Ow. But at least we get to drink wine. Yes, good wine. true. This is why we're drinking. Um, I think that is a good way to end this. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Cheers. Thank you so much Cheers. for coming. Cheers. Cheers, Cheers Thank to everyone. You for coming and uh, enjoy the rest of your time in Bergen. I will do for sure. Love this place. All right. That's my work assignment for this weekend. Let's party. Som alltid, tusen takk til mine fantastiske gjester. Tusen takk til Marius Vabo som har laget logoen til podcasten og Hans Andreas Låke som har laget musikken. Har du lyst til å lære enda mer om naturvin? Hvis du blir medlem og betaler 30 kroner i måneden så får du tilgang til alt bonusmateriale. Lær mer på shows.acast.com slash lisevinsand.